Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Dr. Andy Rourke, and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Gang, we've got an episode from the mailbag today. If you have questions that you would like me and Steph to weigh in on, just shoot us an email. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Give us the details. We're happy to give you a pseudonym. You can pick your own pseudonym. I always love that. And we will do our absolute best to answer your questions. So with that, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we're back. It's me. And Stephanie, you had me at low gone. <laughs> I love that movie. Hey, guys. Oh, how's it going? Yeah. How's it going, Andy? Oh, man. What a great morning this is. Let's let's get to it on uh, on this awesome question that we've gotten from the mailbag. I am super excited about this one because um, this one is a management topic all the way, which which makes me super excited. So we got an email from someone who wanted to know something very simple, which was um, things to ask potential employees in an interview. And on that matter, do you guys believe in phone interviews? first. So um, I totally love this topic because um, interviewing is totally an art. It's something that you, um, I have practiced a lot over my career, both as an interviewer and an interviewee. Um, And so I think we both have some thoughts on doing successful interviews in a veterinary practice, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. No, this is an area where you've got, you've definitely have much more experience here than I do. Uh, I have, I have thoughts and I'm definitely uh, excited to talk about, about my, the experiences I've had, but actually you, you've really got a system here. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to run behind you on this one for sure. Well, and what I love is that you love talking to people. And so I think, I think both of us are people, people, right? And so I think we both um, just have a natural tendency to, try and get people talking, which is what um, I think a good interviewer does. And so I think when we were thinking about this, we both thought that um, we wanted to cover a few things to kind of think about before you do interviews and then actually talk about some of our favorite questions to ask and talk a little bit about the um, phone interview question, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that That's exactly it. So when um, the hires, I, I've been very lucky with hiring I have not made any horrible mistakes that I deeply regret. I've had some work out uh, better than others. And the ones that I didn't feel made hires that didn't fit the way that I thought they would or that didn't just gel, I think that I made some mistakes in the very first step, which is which is the headspace. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's thinking about the why. And so before we get into what type of questions do you like to use and do you use the phone and things like that, let's just unpack the headspace part because I think it's easy to get wrong. This is where I have tripped personally. Mm -hmm. What do you want to accomplish here? What are we, what are we looking for in a person? I think a lot of times I think we, we get so nervous. We're like, oh my God, we need somebody. We're we're short staffed. Give me, give me someone who can fog a mirror. Mm-hmm. or just give me somebody who's good. And if I poke at that person and say, what does it mean to be good? Tell, how do you rate 
good? How do you know if someone's good? Usually they kind of come apart. Like they don't really have anything beyond they'll be good. I will know good when I see it. And I think a lot of times we we do see talented people and we say, oh, that's this person. I think I, I like them or this person has what it takes. And we don't exactly even know what it is or mm-hmm. what we want them to do. So this may sound super simplistic. My first piece of advice is step back. What are you looking for? Do you have a job description for this person? That sounds ridiculous, but it's amazing how often people say we need a tech or we need somebody at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say to them or I would challenge them and say, what exactly is this person going to do? And what skills could they bring to your current team that would be hugely helpful? And by that, what I mean is you may have, uh, say, think about your front desk team. And think about the team that's up there. And there are things that those people are good at. There are probably holes in the skill set at your front desk. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you may desperately need a process person at the front desk. You may have wonderful, compassionate, uh, fun, charismatic people at the desk. But the place is a complete organizational disaster because you don't have that process person who's keeping things in order, you know, and just... Mm-hmm keeping up the structure of the front desk. And so while you say, oh, let's go find a front desk person, your bias is probably going to be to find someone who is like the front desk people that you have. Mm -hmm. My point is, if you really look at your front desk and look where the holes are, there might be a different kind of person or a different skill set that would really match your team. Mm -hmm. And I do think of 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 our staff as a team, and I think of the front desk as a team. Imagine a sports team. I think it's easy to think that if you were recruiting for a sports team, you would always take the best player. I disagree with that Mm -hmm. because at some point you say, we've got, if we're playing a basketball team and we have really tall people who are really great players, but we really don't have any small people who can handle the basketball, we need a small person who can handle the basketball. So the Big players can get down and and have a time to shine, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have to be great. They just have to set up the talent that we already have. And so I would even take a player that's less skilled, but they're the player that we need so that our other players can shine. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to process that and think about what skills are under the surface that we need. Do I have a clear picture of what I'm hiring for? Can I articulate to this person what I'm hiring for? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's huge. I think, um, you know, <clears throat> particularly a lot of the awesome practices that I have worked with um, or worked in have done a, spent a lot of time and energy putting their team together and deciding what their values are and um, and really having this cohesive group. And then someone moves or someone has a baby and all of a sudden you've got a gap in your team and the gut instinct is to say, well, yeah, we, you know, we, we want the, the right person, but give it two or three or four shorthanded days and everybody starts losing their minds. And all of a sudden that mindset shifts from, well, we're going to wait and find the right person to fit with the team and the values to, yeah, this person's okay. We can probably make this work. We just need a body. And I think that that's where we in veterinary medicine in particular really do ourselves a disservice. And and it was interesting to me coming not from the veterinary field um, when I first started, because I was, I was used to um, 
previously working in uh, government and educational um, institutes. And like the hiring process for a university takes for freaking ever. I mean, there are interviews after interviews and the background checks and the reference checks. And I think um, the last job I had before I worked in veterinary medicine it probably the hiring process probably took six weeks alone. And that that was that was kind of normal. And then when I first started in veterinary medicine, it was like I had my interview and and um, you know, got offered a job the next day. And I was like, what? What you you don't want to call my references, you don't have to do a background yeah. check, you know. And and it was really eye-opening to me. And I thought, well, maybe maybe you know, I I started working in my family veterinary practice. So they knew me, they knew my family. I had, I had grown up with their kids. So I thought, okay, well maybe they're just skipping that because it was me. And then I be, and then I realized that this is kind of the norm in veterinary medicine. And, and I think it's an area where we really do ourselves a disservice. Um, And so I think you're totally right. It is super important to get into the right headspace and figure out what it is that you want. And also as a team, have a discussion about standing up for that, have a discussion about, you know, pulling together and being shorthanded. And how are you going to manage that? Because if it really is important to you, if you've spent the time and energy building a culture, you don't want to ruin that immediately by just choosing someone who uh, might be an okay fit because you feel like you, you need a warm body. I think that that's super important. And I also love that you brought up um, you know, the idea of biases, because I think diversity on a team is super important. I think that you have to um, have some balance. And, um, you know, when I first started at the front desk, it was like um, polar opposites. The The person um, who taught me at the front desk was very much a process person. Um, they were an introvert. They were not a people person. But man, they could get the stuff done at the front desk. They were very process driven. And I am very outgoing and I will talk to anyone. And I am the person who will sit at the front desk and, you know, chat up all the clients. And um, the practice owner saw that and saw that it was a challenge for them. And while my my partner, you know, could get all of the, you know, chart audits in the world done and have all of the best medical advice for clients, there was a gap there that they had identified and they were really looking to fill it with someone who could be the people person. And I think that that's um, so important to consider having that diversity and having, um, identifying what your holes are and how are you going to, how are you going to fill them? Yeah. Uh, I I think that you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned diversity. I, I think that's another part of the headspace just to think about no, because this is this we're doing hiring. This is the time to stop for a second and just sort of check our biases. Know that we are all biased towards feeling comfortable with people who are like us. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that means how they look like us, whether that means they have shared experiences like us, like we went to the same school or we have the same hobbies or we root for the same sports team. Any of those things are they're, they're mental shortcuts that we take and say, oh, I like this person. I don't know why, but I like them. Well, it's because you see similarity between them and you. It's the same thing in communication style. You know, if you and I are interviewing and somebody walks in and they're like, hey, everybody, boy, it's a great morning. This is fantastic. Thanks for being here. I love your shirt. Did you guys have a good breakfast? 
I am immediately like, oh, I like her. I I like this energy. And it's because that's the idiotic stuff that I say when I walk in. And and Stephanie's just got her arms crossed and is shaking her head like, mm, no. And and it's communication style. So at Uncharted, we we talk we use DISC uh, a bit, and we talk a lot about DISC in some of our communication courses. And so DISC is a communication style. If you're an I, like I am, uh, I'm an I, which means I I like to leverage people. I like relationships. I like working in groups. I like motivating people. I like other people who are I's. Just at a deep level, I immediately spot their energy, and I get what they're putting down, and I feel very comfortable. I, you don't want to practice full of eyes. You right. want, you want some eyes, and you but you need the other three types of people to balance this thing out. And so check your biases. Know that communication style. Um, just uh, and we get into any the, everything like race and gender and, and sexuality, all those things. Like we have a bias towards being comfortable about people who are like us. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that is true, and you should know it. The other thing that is true is you should know it is diverse teams are better teams. Teams that have different perspectives, they have people who have different experiences, different pe- uh, people who come from different backgrounds, they uh, have different ways of looking at the world, they have different philosophies, mm-hmm. they will they will be a more creative team, especially if you're doing a good job of listening to your people, you will have a better team and you will get further and you will have better ideas and you'll be able to innovate better. The other thing is you think about it from the point of view of our clients. When they come into our practices, we want them to trust us. We want to build trust. And they have the same bias as we do, which means when they come into your practice, they will be comfortable or more comfortable with people like them. And so they are looking for people who are sort of like like them. And, the, and it's a sign like, oh, you're in a right place. You're in a good place to be, which means if you have a very homogeneous team, there are probably segments of clients out there who will not see anyone who looks like them when they come into your practice and it's a small mm-hmm. thing. Don't, don't think this is a, a, a deal killer, mm-hmm. but if you want to diversify your client base, you should diversify your staff so that those people feel more comfortable when they come into your practice. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I know, um, we are all, I'm sort of, I feel like we're talking right now off the bat, like you're going to get a million job applicants and you have a lot of people to sort through. I just want you to put all these things in your head before we really start into the process. Yeah, totally. I I think that's a great a great point. Um, and I I think on the flip side of that too, though, um, you and I have talked about this before um, on one of the episodes where we were talking about um, you know one of the first uh, a, a previous job interview that you had done in a practice that um, really had a mission and a vision that was um, very uh, faith based. And they, yeah. their their team was very upfront about the their faith being at the center of their practice, and they cultivated a client base that that um, matched that. And so I think on the flip side of that, if there is something that is a cornerstone um, to your your practice culture, not only for your team but especially for your clients, I think that it is important to recognize that and. Um, filter a little bit your candidates through that lens because having the right fit matters just as much in that in that regard and being able to take candidates you know like yourself you said you you enjoyed it you you liked doing the interview and at the same time you felt like okay this is not the right fit for me but what a you know what a great practice and you want to be able to create that experience for interviewees as well I think that that is um, important on the flip side totally it it reminds me of dating. Right. When when you're like 17 
and you don't know what's going on and you don't have any, you're full of insecurity and everything like that. And you go on a date and you're, and you're, and you're meeting this person. I know people today don't date, but you hang out <laughs> with someone that you like, whatever it is. You have all these thoughts about what, it, what is she like? Does she, does she like, uh, does she like guys that are, that are preppy? Does she like guys that look, should I look more casual? Should I look like I have my stuff together? Like maybe, maybe dress it up a little bit. Does she like like athletic guys? Should I, should I mention that I've been at the gym? Uh, does she like, should, she, should I, should like, should I talk about books? Should I stay away from books? Is that too cerebral? <laughs> like, what is, what is this person like? And that's how we think about relationships when we're insecure and, and when we're young and then <laughs> jump ahead and imagine you're dating when you're 40 and you're like, like I don't have time for this crap. <laughs> you need to know who I am <laughs> immediately. Cause if you're not down with that, I don't have a whole lot of free time. <laughs> And let's just get it on the table right now. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so true though. It's so true. And I, I, think we, I think we end up in the role of the 17 year old at, yeah, at a lot of practice. Cause we, we go, Oh my God, I'm desperate. Right. I need to find some, I need someone to like me. Like I need that. And right. so we hide what we believe in or who we are, or we, you always want to put on your best face. I'm not, I'm not acting like you don't try to put on a good face and, you know, and, and, and portray your practice in the best light to job candidates because you're recruiting them as much as they're recruiting you. You're trying to hire as much as they're trying to get hired. And so you got to play both sides of that. At the same time, you're not doing anybody any favors if you have core values in your practice and you hide them away. So yeah. I did. I went and I interviewed at this practice and it was a, a faith-driven practice. And but God knows they did not try to hide it. They had, you know, Bibles sure. in the lobby sure. and um, you know, and pamphlets uh for uh for their church mission and you know, and 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 quotes from the Bible like on the walls and stuff. And so it was very obvious, but they also spoke to me very candidly and said, We put our faith above all at this sure. practice. And it was their core values. And I the respect that I have for them is still so high mm -hmm. because they were like, this is who we are. And we, I, you know, they, and the guy I was talking to the vet, he said, you know, I, I've prayed on our meeting and I, I'm hoping that, that, uh, it, if it's meant to be, that it will be. And mm -hmm. that's just how, how he spoke. And that practice was very busy and they were expanding because they were busy and their clients were into that. Mm -hmm. And that ended up not being where I ended up going, but uh, that's probably for the best. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was their thing and their values. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they were just honest and candid about it. And so I'll always use that as an example of just mm -hmm. being upfront with their values and live and sort of living the life that they wanted to live in this practice. I think that their practice, I think that they found great reward in their work. I suspect that those people went home at the end of the day and felt that their purpose was being fulfilled and that they were doing the work in the world that they wanted to do in a way mm -hmm. that they wanted to do it. And guys, I think that that's, I think that's really what it's all about. And I know, I don't think I know this does not have to come from faith, but it does come from your core values, whatever they are. And so are you a practice that prioritizes the highest standards of care, uh, you know, of technology of medicine above all else? Mm -hmm. Are you the all for one, one for all? We are a team. We watch each other's back through thick and thin practice. They're not better or worse. Mm -hmm. And, and the, 
at some point, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, but at some point you have a couple of values that really do define your team and you should own them. And I think it's amazing how few of us actually even know what those values are. So Mm -hmm. know what your values are. I I, I think that, and that's, this is 101 uncharted stuff. So if you enjoy, if you join uncharted uh, and uncharted is, is a, is a business leadership community. We talk about leading teams, whether you're the, the lead CSR or the associate vet who's being groomed to be a partner, or you are the owner of uh, six different veterinary clinics. We're going to talk about core values right up front because that is something that's got to be in your toolbox. You've got it. You've got to understand it and, and be able to use it to make decisions, whether it's, it's your guiding light or not, you got to have it in your toolbox. You got to understand it. And so we will talk about core values. I just think that when you start to hire, you're talking about culture. You're talking about the future of your practice. You need to know who you are mm-hmm. so that you can make informed decisions. And so that's mm-hmm. your core values in your head. Mm-hmm. And so I think the other things that go along with this um, and why I was so excited to talk about this is because, um, you know, my interview process is probably twice as long as most of my colleagues, um, because I really believe that it is about finding the right fit for my team. And I will absolutely pass up candidates that I don't feel like are a good fit and deal with the struggles of being short staffed. And my team can tell you, I have been at the front desk this last two weeks and I will be for the next two weeks because, um, you know, it's summertime, it's busy and we're shorthanded and I am not afraid to jump in and help fill those gaps because I really, truly believe it is about finding the right fit for the team. And I think that in veterinary medicine as a whole, that's an area where we really um, let ourselves fall short is to just give in to the fear of, oh my God, I need help. And we hire, we hire too quickly and we don't fire quickly enough um, in veterinary medicine. And so I've got um, a couple of uh, tips that I kind of um, like to think about before I start my interview process. And then I think we've got some really fun interview questions to kind of talk talk through as well. So um, for me, it starts with being prepared and, and it really absolutely does start with getting in the right headspace, like you said, Andy. Um, and then the other part about being prepared for me is that I I want to we may be in veterinary medicine and I might have had an emergency and have um, blood covering my scrubs five minutes before an applicant walks in the door, but I am still going to go change and put on business clothes and appear um, as organized and professional as I can before I start talking to a candidate. Um, and so there's just a few things that I um, kind of do to get prepared. I always have um, their resume and cover letter printed out on paper. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I am a huge technology fan and I hate wasting paper and killing trees, but I absolutely use paper in my interview process because I want to make notes. I want to highlight things. I want to be able to um, document stuff as I'm talking to them. And I have just found that it, um, I can make notes on a piece of paper and break the eye contact with them or even keep eye contact with them and make notes by hand. I cannot do that with a computer in front of me, um, even a, even a tablet without kind of breaking that personal barrier between me and the other person. So I love paper. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I a hundred percent on board with paper mm-hmm. and it's for the exact same reason. I, or two reasons. So number one is you're right. When I have someone in and I'm talking to them and talking to them about their fit, uh, 
there's just something about a screen and we've all had that experience of talking to somebody and they're on their phone and they may be on their phone researching a thing that we're talking about. You immediately know that they are not a hundred percent with you mm-hmm. and it's off putting and, and it makes them feel, I, you can imagine someone who's feeling all the stress of interviewing for a job. I'm sure that their self-talk is something like, Oh, she's, she's already, zo- she's zoning out or mm-hmm. she's, She's not, she's not really hearing. Is she hearing what I'm saying? Should I stop talking until she's done typing? Like we, we all have those sorts of thoughts. So number one, it's the, it's the barrier, uh, into the relationship. And then number two is it's the experience that I'm creating for the person who's interviewing. If you want to make someone feel like what they're saying is important, take notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I teach that mm-hmm. in the exam room all the time to the doctors and say, write on your treatment sheets. Yeah. When the client is talking, take Take some notes, jot, even if it's a couple of words, just jot some things down because it sends all these signals about the importance of what the pattern is saying, about the fact that they're being heard, you know, and it's the same thing in the interview. Take some notes because of the formality that it brings, uh, because of the importance that it makes the other person feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I actually have, um, created over the years, I have, um, two separate note-taking forms. The first one is um, for my phone screens. So to answer our emailer's question, yes, I absolutely believe in phone screens and I and I use them every time. Um, they're hugely helpful. So I have an, um, an interview sheet, uh, cover sheet for that. And then I also have one for an in-person interview. And so I have their resume, I have their cover letter, I make notes on those, I highlight um, key things that I want to ask them about. Um, and then I take notes during the phone screen. And if they pass that um, first go round and I want them to come in, then I use the second sheet when they're there and I keep everything together for each um, employee. Now I'm super, super nerdy and I like, <laughs> I like things to be organized. Um, and so I use a three folder system when I'm reviewing resumes to help keep myself organized. And I do it really simply. Yes, maybe no. And so when I get all of the, um, resumes and cover letters, when I've put out an ad, I go through and I sort them into those, those categories and I use those folders and I keep everybody's paper all together in the folders when I make a hire, all of their paper then easily becomes part of their employee folder. And then I have a ready to go um, folder for yes, but people who were previously yeses so that if things change or I find myself needing to hire another person before I need to even put out an ad, I have a ready to go stack of candidates in um, my folder. And I will tell you guys, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I have been saved the hassle of having to repost an ad by taking out that stack of people who I who I really liked, but ultimately for one reason or another, another candidate just had the edge and I hired someone else. But I go back to those candidates and I just reach out to them. And that's part of my interview process. I ask them, if we have openings in the future, would you be open to me touching bases with you and just seeing where you're at in your job search process? Um, and, you know, I obviously understand you're not <laughs> not going to wait around for us, but um, just to touch bases with you and almost always they say yes. And it has saved me so much time to be able to pick up the phone and just call and say, hey, Andy, you know, this is Stephanie. I'm, I'm calling from the hospital. And, um, you know, we interviewed a couple months ago and I just wanted to touch bases because I have another opening and I wanted to see where you're at in um, your job search process. Yeah, I, I think that that's such a great idea in the amount of time that it saves you. And the other thing is, 
in the effectiveness that that approach brings to actually landing a candidate that you like. And so if this person is someone that you said, yes, I think this person would be a good fit. You know, guys, at, at the end of the day, we all want to feel wanted. Mm-hmm. We, we all want to feel wanted. And as I, I've, I've had uh, employers do this with, with me and having someone reach out to you and say, hey, I know it's been six months or I, I know it's been a year. I've had someone contact me in a year. Mm-hmm. Say it's been a year. Uh, I, I don't know what you have going on, but we have a spot that's open. We loved when we met with you before and, and think that you might be a great fit for our hospital. If you are open to discussing, uh, employment with us, I would, I would love to talk to you and see if, and tell you about what we have available, something like Mm -hmm. that, or tell you about a spot that's coming open. And we all love to be recruited as opposed to be as being the, the one who's chasing it's, it's an effective strategy for saving you time mm-hmm. and for kind of wooing a, a candidate that you would like to have. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it that I, that I use that I don't think we use enough in veterinary medicine is, is a professional courtesy piece. Um, and so I send everybody a personalized rejection letter. If I'm not choosing someone for whatever reason, I send them either a, a handwritten um, note to people who have taken the time to come in and interview with me in person, I I still use handwritten cards and I will write a card and pop it in the mail to them and thank them for their time. I'll have called them as well. Um, but to me, it just, um, it just feels so good and it goes a long way towards cementing you in their minds in terms of the experience. Um, because so often I, I've gone on interviews and I've interviewed and I thought the interview went great and then I hear nothing. And it's crickets and I never hear from them one way or the other. I have no idea what went wrong, but, um, and that's really frustrating as an, as an applicant. And, um, so I, I like to, to thank them for coming in and wish them the best of luck in, in their future search. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You can shoot them an email as well. Yeah. I, this is an area where I've come a long way because I think early in my career, I had the idea that the kindest thing to do was to let someone know we'll reach out to you if something becomes available. And it was mm-hmm. not giving them that rejection. It was right. saying, not now, we'll let you know if something happens. And I was like, oh, this leaves the door open for me to reach back out later on. And all of, and, and sort of all of those sort of optimistic thoughts. I think honestly, when I'm being vulnerable, uh, I I don't like I don't like those types of confrontations. And and that's just me throughout my life. And this is something I've gotten much, much better at dealing with. And it's a skill I've had to learn early in my career. I did not have that skill. And so the idea of, of give, of rejecting someone, I didn't like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's very common in our profession because we are such warm, fuzzy people sure. and we really do want to make people happy and we don't want to hurt anybody. That's just, that's so opposed to who we are. And so I started off with that idea of the kinder thing, the better thing is to say, we'll let you know if something becomes available and then just kind of leave them hanging. What I've come to understand is kind of what you said, uh, where you put in an application and you, you don't hear anything and how frustrating that is. The other thing that really hammered this home for me is the rise of ghosting in our profession, which, yeah. and every profession, this is every profession deals with this, but I, I know so many of you out there pull your hair out because you have somebody who you offer the job to and they just don't respond or they even say, I'll be there on Wednesday and then they just don't show up and then they don't respond to your messages. And when you're like, where are you? Did you mm-hmm. forget where the building is located? 
And so that guy, that behavior makes me so frustrated, ju- just like it does probably everybody else out there. And so I start trying to understand why does this happen? And one of the things that you hear again and again from employees is employers have ghosted on us for years and years and not been straight with us about deciding that they're going to go a different way or that they're not going to offer us a position. And turnabout seems like fair play. And so I was so irritated by that behavior, I had to kind of really look at it, try to look at it objectively and say, okay, I see my role in this behavior mm-hmm. and I don't like being ghosted. And so I am going to change my behavior. And so that, that's why I say that's sort of the transformation that I, I have sort of gone through. And I think maybe uh, other people have gone through that as well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think that is such a powerful tool, particularly if you are a manager who is responsible for hiring or if you're a practice owner is um, I think we have this, uh, in veterinary medicine, there's such a competition um, between local practices, and we there there is a there is a finite talent pool, and we we are all um, drawing from that same pool. And so I think that there's a natural inclination to be like, oh my god, I gotta I gotta like keep the best people a secret, and I gotta try and figure out how to make this work because I don't want to lose them to someone else. And I will tell you that um, it can be a very powerful tool. There have been times uh, where I have interviewed candidates and I have thought that they were fantastic candidates. And for um, one reason or another that had to do with my practice culture or what I what I actually needed in the job, there was someone who who was clearly the better fit. But it was um, but it was a really hard decision to make. And I have actually uh, talked to those candidates and said, Hey, you know, ultimately, um, I have another candidate that we're going to go with, but I was really impressed with you. I, I, I thought you were, um, you know, quite lovely. And so if you are okay with this, um, you know, I, I work with other practice managers in our area in our local practice managers group. And I would love to pass your information along to, um, the other, the other hospitals, because, um, I think that you would make a fantastic fit for someone's hospital. And I would, I would love to see, um, you know, you find a job and this actually came up in one of our managers groups recently, um, on Facebook and, and a colleague who I really admire was like, uh, you know, had posted and was telling us, Hey guys, I have these two candidates and I can't decide between the two of them. Um, and he did the same thing. He facilitated getting the candidate that they didn't choose a job with another competitive competitor, um, in his area, but it was someone that he was really impressed with and was like, this will, this person will make a great fit for someone's hospital. And I think that that's so powerful, both for the candidate and for, for you as a manager, because, um, uh, we have the potential to waste so many people's times. And I just feel like it feels really good. And I will tell you guys, when I went into, um, the local practice to pick up some meds because we had gotten short and we needed to borrow some. And that person that I had interviewed was sitting at the front desk and she had the biggest smile on my face. And she's like, Oh my God. She's like, I, and she just came out, rushed out from behind the counter and gave me a big hug. And she's like, thank you so much. I love this practice. I'm super happy. I love my job. Like, thank you so much for helping me find out about this other hospital because I, you know, I really appreciate it. And so I think that um, there's a lot of ways that you can think forwardly beyond just the job opening that you have in front of you. Well, that's such a like enlightened maneuver. I mean, that's transcending the level of business that most people think about. It really is. And it's so easy 
it's so easy to have a scarcity mentality and say, well, I don't, if I don't take this person, I don't want my competitor to get them. Mm -hmm. And and it's easily understandable. The, the truth is we really are not competing against other practices nearly as much as we're competing against inaction on the part of the pet owner, Mm -hmm. meaning people just not coming in and bringing their pets and being compliant and things like Mm -hmm. that. And the ultimate outcome when you do things like that is that you end up with a community around you and all the neighboring practices, they have people who know you and mm-hmm. who have good feelings about you and who you have helped. And you just never know when that stuff will come back. You yes. don't, you don't know. Uh, you don't know all the, all the benefits of when later on you have an opening and you need, and that person may come or that person may refer their friends to you yes. to, to hire or when someone says to to that person, um, where do you board your dog? You know, she may work at another practice, but she's like, oh, I do my boarding with these people. Uh-huh. You just you just never know. And you're, uh-huh. it's your reputation in the community. And it's, it's so hard to put a price on that or even speak in specifics about what exactly you get. But it just comes back to you. And it takes a long, long time. This is something where when you do it for 20 years, you you live that type of life you end up later in your career in such a rich community and a supportive community. And you have friends all over the place that look out for you. You just can't put a price on that. Well, and let's be real. The the pool, the hiring pool in veterinary medicine is very small and, and life changes every single day. And I can't tell you how many times I've hired someone who thought that they would be a fantastic fit and then life happens and they need a change of hours that I can't accommodate or they need, um, you know, uh, benefits and we don't offer them or, or whatever the instance is. And how many times have we interviewed candidates that come from another practice in your town or in your community? I mean, it is a very... It's a very small, close-knit community, and you never know. And so they may go somewhere else and, and be happy, and life may change, and they may be looking when you need someone in the future. And so I think it goes um, – You a little kindness there can can go a long, a long way. Um, so other than being prepared and looking at all of their stuff ahead of time, the other thing that I think is super important is to choose your questions wisely. And so we're going to get to the main part of this question, which was about actual questions to ask for phone interviews and in-person interviews. Um, and then I think when you're asking your questions, you have to have an interviewed structure. There has to be some some method to your madness because an unstructured interview is really frustrating for candidates. It feels, it can feel like a a big waste of time. Um, And so I actually have um, questions whether I'm doing the interview by myself. Some of my team is joining in for the interview. If we are doing panel interviews, every hospital, depending on their size, does their interview process a little bit differently, but it's super important to have a structure and um, go from one piece to the next, to the next, um, and I always end with giving them an opportunity to ask questions of their own. Yeah. No, uh, I, I I love that. Yeah. Open, open, open broadly, right? Yes. Open broadly. And the first, my goal for the, when you talk about structure, my goal for the first part of these is always to try to help the other person relax Yes. so that I can yep. start to see what is real. Yep. Because me interviewing uh, someone who is on maximum high alert restraint is is not super helpful for me. 
And the other thing is, especially especially if you're interviewing uh, do- doctors, people who have been and they've done vet school interviews and they've done all these things where they have been interviewed many times before and they may have read articles or books about interviewing and they have paid a lot of attention to interviewing. Mm-hmm. Interviewing is a skill which is good for the interviewer, interviewee, but not so much for the interviewer. If I'm dealing with someone who is a very sharp individual, and this this can be text, front desk, anything, if they are very sharp and they anticipate kind of the types of things I might be looking for, they're more likely to tell me what they think I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that that's not helpful. I don't need you to recite to me what the, you know, the textbook answers. I need you to tell me honestly what you think and how you feel and what you would do because otherwise, again, we're just wasting each other's time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree a hundred percent with you and my, my processes, uh, for the in-person interview is a, is a funnel just like that. And it starts out wide and I'm using, I, my, I call them my fun, relaxing questions. And then I move into the job specifics and behavioral questions. And then I funnel it down to the end, which is, I want to know what questions do they have for me through the whole process. Um, but, uh, I start with a phone interview and the reason that I love phone interviews is because, uh, ghosting has become so, common. And, um, I've actually thought in the era of ghosting about giving up the phone interview process, um, and just moving to having interviews and see who shows up. But I really do feel like I have spent so much time and energy over the course of my career with, um, interviewing candidates and I get to the actual in-person interview and I start asking them some basic questions about, um, you know, why they apply to us, but almost always the question where it's a trip up is when I start asking them, um, what their minimum salary requirement is. And I can't tell you how many times I have had candidates who I did the whole interview with and adored. And then I ask them about what they want to make and what they want to make and what my pay scale is are night and day. (laughs) And I just wasted a half hour of my time doing an interview with them, and there's no way that I could ever afford to pay them what they, what they want. And it's a colossal waste of everybody's time. Um, and so I use the phone screens as a way to figure out if on paper, the job that I have and the pay scale that I have and the hours that I have associated with that job are a fit for this candidate. Um, and I also want to learn a little bit about them. You know, are they currently employed? If they're not currently employed, why did they leave their last employer? Um, you know, are they, are they in school? Is there a gap? Like find out that kind of basic information. What made them want to apply for us? That question in and of itself. Um, I, I asked them, tell me, tell me what prompted you to apply to us. It filters out so, so many people, you guys who are, are just checking the boxes, um, for unemployment to be perfectly honest. Like if they can't tell me something besides, well, I really love animals like that. I want to know that right off, right off the bat. I don't want it to be a waste of time. So I, I still use a phone interview and it's actually a really good way to involve my team. And for those of you who have bigger teams and have team leads, um, you can absolutely offsource this to them. But even if you don't have team leads, it's a great way to get people who are on the team that this candidate is going to work with involved in the process, um, straight out of the gate. And so I, I have the form so that there are very clear questions. Um, the number one mistake I see veterinary hospitals uh, make and where they get immediately into trouble is asking all kinds of inappropriate, um, completely 
illegal questions <laughs> during their interview process. And so I have the form so that when I have my team help me with it, that we don't get into any troublesome areas. They stick to the script. They ask the questions that are on the form. They thank the candidate for their time and let them know that um, the candidates that will we are interested in having move forward in our interview process will be contacted within whatever the time frame is, um, but that we'll let them know either way. And then we immediately send out... Um, you know, the rejection letters to the candidates that we aren't interested in, and then schedule in-person interviews with the candidates that we are. Um, and then I, for my in-person interview um, process, I love interviewing you guys. And maybe it's because I'm an I, like Andy, and I love talking to people, but I really do love um, the interview process. I love starting off and meeting new people. And like Andy said, usually um, most candidates, there's a little bit of nerves and I like, um, spending some time just getting them to relax and getting to know them a little bit. And so, um, I usually start with the fun questions. And so, um, I've got some examples. I want to hear what, uh, what Andy's favorite fun questions to ask are. <laughs> I, I've got some, so fun questions. Remember everything for a reason. Fun questions, yes. the idea is to get the person to relax, to get used to answering questions, to humanize yourself, yes. uh, all, all of those sorts of things. So my, my fun questions when we start off, I love, what, what hobbies do you have? Yes. What, do you, what do you do when you're not working? And those are easy. And a lot of times they will open up other questions and the person says, well, I like to read. What kind of stuff do you like to read? Or they say, I like movies. Well, what kind of movies do you like? And I'll even ask them some questions about movies they've seen or, or movies that they liked. And it's purely, it's kind of small talk, but it's just getting them open and getting them talking. I'll say, uh, what, um, what kind of food do you like? What's your favorite kind of food? And they'll say, I like Mexican food. I go, great. What's your favorite Mexican restaurant here in town? And then we'll talk about the Mexican, Mexican restaurants in town. And you go, that's so dumb. And I go, this is zero stakes. Yep. It's zero stakes. It's them talking. I'll, <laughs> I'll say, um, are you aware that Ross and Rachel took a break? <laughs> And they'll say, no. And I'll go, okay, next question. Or they'll say, yes. And I'll say, who was in the right and why? What if they ask you who are Ross and Rachel? As, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll make a note of that. Like, I'm, uh, we're going to move on. That's a pop culture reference I actually get. Well, totally. And as, a, as a result, I only work with people who are 35 years old or older. Apparently. I don't know why. But, that, but just ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous things like that. Justin yeah. Bieber has a monkey. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and and you think I'm kidding? I those are some of the questions. I I think it's hilarious to have an interview and to ask questions like that with a straight face and see. And then obviously what you have to you you have to you have to break and laugh. Like that's the point. Is it's not to, it's not to antagonize. It's, it's to tell them, hey, this is not so serious. Don't don't. Don't don't stress out. We're we're just talking, uh, normal people having a good time. So I, I like that as as I like that as fun, open questions. Just joke around. Um, yeah, that that's it. What did you dream of doing when you grew up? Ooh, when you were a kid, like when you were a kid, what did you dream of doing when you grew up? And just yep. honestly, it, it's Tim talking. But in another way, you do 
you do learn about the person. And so let's let's talk about this Rosser and Rachel thing for a second. And honestly, if the person, like, first of all, it makes them laugh. And especially if there's someone who watched Friends, the TV show, that's where it comes from. Uh, if they watch Friends, now we have a shared experience of she watched Friends or he watched Friends and I watched Friends. And we can do that. But but honestly, I'm kind of interested in what you thought about when Ross and Rachel took a break. Because I want to know, are you a justice person are you a relationship person? Like what? Yes. Like what are what are your sort of what are your thoughts? And I'm just starting to get a little bit of a picture about how you see the world. Yes, and I I think that that is super important. Like I I have talked to a lot of managers who are like, oh yeah, well we ask like what's their favorite color, and I say, well why? And most of most people don't have an answer for why they ask those questions. I think that the fun section can be so, so powerful. There has to be a reason why you ask the questions that you are asking. And I, I do the same as you. Um, one of my one of my top questions to ask them is, what was the last book that they read? Um, and I ask them to tell me, like, what's in your Netflix queue or what's on your Spotify playlist? Like, I want I want to relax them. I want to get to know them as a person. But I, I also want to see, like, are they, um, do they ex- expand on that? And do they start to immediately geek out and tell me more about themselves? Or are they going to give me a, a one word answer or say, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you get so many insights and I think that those questions can be so powerful. And so once I get them comfortable, I move into fun and relaxing questions that really tell me a lot more about them as a person. So, um, I actually asked, uh, some of my, some of my manager friends in one of my groups this question um last night I asked them what their favorite question to ask was and there was a question that I thought was absolutely fantastic and I'm gonna start to use it now. Um they said if they ask candidates if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? And they said that the reason that they asked the question now is because it is amazing how many people answer with um a superhero name. Like they'll say Wonder Woman. They they didn't listen to the question and and that in and of itself tells you a lot about the person is like if you could have a superpower what would you have and why and if someone just tells you superhero it's like okay they're they're listening they might still be nervous but it does tell you something about them if they give you an answer that has nothing to do with the actual question um and on the flip side to that i like to ask questions like um when we start to get into the the more in-depth fun fun questions, I ask them, what professional or life achievement are you most proud of? Um, and my other favorite one is, if money was no object, tell me about your dream job. Yeah, those are great. I, I think, I, I love those. A lot of it, let's break this apart. You should absolutely have a reason for asking these questions. And so even when I said, what kind of food do you like? What kind of food do you like? I want to ask you what restaurants you like in town. And yes. So I say, they say Mexican. I say, oh, what's your favorite restaurant? And the truth is, I'm actually interested in what you're going to say your favorite Mexican restaurant is. Do you like the cheap place that's, you know, that's super fast? Do you like the swanky upscale Mexican place? You know, uh, the the high-end Mexican place here in town is it's like a new thing. I'm just interested to see what you say because I I'm interested in what you like and prioritize. Are you a speed and convenience person? Are you a dining experience person? I love it. I love it. When people say, I say, what's your favorite kind of food? And they'll say seafood. And I'll say, Oh, where do you go? And they'll say, Oh, well, you know, once a year, my husband and I go to the swanky seafood place downtown. I love that. 
because we have a high-end vet practice. And I go, aha, you get the importance of the client experience, the customer experience. And you believe that there's value in some in some high-end services and goods. And and you you like those things and you spot and you see them. I think that you can understand my desire for our clinic to be the high-end seafood restaurant of veterinary clinics in this town. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a it's don't get me wrong, we're not hanging everything on this question, but it's just something where I'm fishing a little bit to see what are some of these people's experiences. So even those just throwaway questions, there's still a little bit of something there that I can I can get. What's your favorite color? I don't understand what I what, what I can even get from that, and it's not even open ended enough that I can start to understand where what you think or how you think. Well, and that's, I'm glad that you made that distinction because I absolutely think that you can ask fun questions that on the surface absolutely look like throwaway questions. But if you, if you know what you're trying to get out of it, if you're trying to see, are they a, are they an experienced person or or are they a fast, convenient, um, kind of fast and convenience matter to them kind of person, there is intention and purpose behind that. And so I think that that is really important and really important distinction. Oh, totally. Yeah. One more question that just popped into my mind that I definitely like to use as, as one of the warm up questions. But again, it definitely gives you stuff. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could take one thing, what is the thing that you would take? And that's just a classic question. But it tells you a lot about this person. Are they a sentimental person? Are they a pragmatist? Are they, you know, are they a, a, a technophile? They're like, oh, I just, I would have to have my, my, iPad and you go, I see problems with that. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, I would, and a lot of them say I would have to have my dog and you go, great. I respect that. You true. Like you're doubling down on the animal person, uh, sure. position. Those are the types of goofy questions that do give you something about how this person thinks. Yeah, so, so, totally. So the next step for me, um, I switch these two chunks of questions up depending on the person that I'm interviewing. So a lot of the time um, now in veterinary medicine, I'm interviewing people that don't have veterinary experience. So when I have a candidate that doesn't have prior veterinary experience or um, they have pet-related experience but no actual veterinary experience, it often can take them a little bit longer to to get comfortable and warm up. And so I start with the behavior questions next. Um, and then I move into work-related jobs, job kind of questions. But if I have somebody who has um, veterinary-specific experience, I might move more into the job questions um, after that and just kind of tackle where they are at in their experience level and comfort level with those kind of questions. But um, for behavioral questions, I think it is really important to ask them questions and get a sense of um, how they how they work. I mean, it tells me a lot about a candidate if I ask them a question like, can you tell me about a time that you overcame a challenge? I It is perfectly acceptable for them to need time and to process the question and think about how they are going to answer it. But if I have candidate a candidate who can't spend a couple of minutes thinking about that and come up with a challenge that they have faced in their lives, all of the candidates I'm interviewing are adults, so they've lived at least 18 years on this earth. If they can't come up with the challenge that they have faced and how they overcame it, I can't, I, I can't, how can I work with 
that person. <laughs> like, I, I mean, we face challenges all day long in practice, right? Like they, they have to be able to think a little bit on their feet. Oh yeah. It, this is hard. And we've all been in an interview and been asked to come up with a time that we had a challenge and it, and it's hard. And a lot of times they want to say the right thing. So they definitely, they definitely struggle. I think that the behavioral questions are so much more important than the, than the work questions. Like that's, that's just for me. I love behavioral questions. I think they're so important. Mm -hmm. What let's just, let's just make real clear. One of the important points here, and you can tell from our questions, one open-ended questions, tell us about a time. Uh, what is your favorite? Explain for me. Can you tell me more about obviously open-ended questions? The other part here is I am not asking you, what would you do with this? Mm -hmm. How would you do this? I'm saying, tell me about a time. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because I want you to tell me about something that you did in the past and, and not because I don't want to test you. I, I really don't want to test you on, do you know the right thing to do? I want you to give me an example of something that you've dealt with. And so your question is, um, you tell me about a time you overcame a challenge. I can, I, I, I can throw that out as a, as a broad question and see if they go for it. Sometimes they wrestle with it. And sometimes questions like that can be so broad that they really struggle. And so mm -hmm. I'll either ask as a separate question or as a follow-up question, I'll say, tell me about a time that you were really stressed out at work mm -hmm. and what yep. you, and, and what you did about that. Yep. And and you can learn a lot from the, how, what they come up with as far as this was a time that we were stressed out at work. Or yep. tell me tell me about a time that you had a that you had a, a challenge with a coworker. Tell me about a time that you worked with a difficult person. Mm -hmm. How did you how did you deal with that? And guys, your questions will be again. These should be driven by your core values. Like yep. what kind of practice do you run? It should be driven by the type of person you're trying to get. It should be driven by your culture. Who's, you know, who's going to fit here and, and, and what, what does, how does your team work? Is this person going to mesh? And there's not right or wrong answers, but again, I'm looking for how do you handle X type of problem? So what time, give me a, a challenge that you faced. Tell me about a stressful time at work and how you overcame it. Can you tell me about a time you dealt with a difficult colleague? Can you tell me about a, t a time that you worked with a challenging customer? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That, um, that question, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually my favorite behavioral question. And I'll tell you why. So, um, speaking specifically to core, core values in my, t in your team, um, one of the things that is core to our team is, um, is very low drama. <laughs> and it is really important that, that everybody can work together and get along. And it sounds crazy to say low drama is a core value for us, but it really, it really is. When I talked to all of my team, when we were starting to write our mission and vision and come up with our core values, everybody gave the feedback that part of what they loved about working there was the, the relatively low drama. Um, and that that is, can be quite unusual in veterinary medicine. And so for us, that is really a core value. And so I asked that question and asked, tell me about a time when you had to work with what you considered to be a difficult personality. And then my follow-up to that is, tell me what made their personality difficult to you and what you did to overcome the differences. Because I want to specifically know how did they deal with, what do they perceive as drama? And then how, how do they deal with it? What is their communication style? Did they talk directly to the person? Did they, um, you know, confront them? Was their answer to say, 
while I just waited because I assumed that the manager would eventually deal with it when it got bad enough? Like, what it, what is their answer? How are they going to handle it? Because that question speaks volumes to something that that truly is a core value for our team. And even if they have no veterinary experience, whatever job-related experience they do have, it's going to reveal a lot of information to something that is fundamental to our practice. Yes, 100%. And if you're going to ask these questions about Tell me about dealing with challenges. Tell me about how you struggle with this. Tell me about how you struggle with that. You have got to flip it over and ask the other side of the coin, which is tell me about a time that you really felt like you succeeded at work. Yeah. Tell me about tell me about a time that you felt really appreciated at work. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. so I'm asking that question. Tell me about a time you were appreciated because People like to be appreciated in different ways. We yes. find appreciation in different ways. And appreciating staff is super important to me. So I would love for you to tell me about a time that you felt really appreciated. And you better believe I'm writing that down because that is going to give me insight. If you do come on board, are you someone who likes public praise? Are you someone who likes a thank you note and, and private praise? Are you yes. someone who likes a little gift? Or are you someone who goes for mementos? Do you want a framed, you know, quote, you know, because of something that you did, what, what, yes. what do you like? Uh, w- what's important to you? Tell me about a time you felt really appreciated and you better believe that I'm going to try to mimic that or figure out what the secret sauce is there for you so that I can give you more of that if and when you come on board, but flip it around and let them tell you, tell, tell me about a time that you led a project and it could be any, it could be a work project. Mm-hmm. It could be something mm-hmm. in school. It could have mm-hmm. been anything, but tell me about the time that you led a project. And just and and fish for those things. And you may have to ask these things in slightly different ways. Right. And again, when I do when I do sort of interviews, I I think there is a tendency, especially if you give someone who's doing an interview for you, you give them a list of questions, where they're just gonna go through the questions. This is not a test. Right. I want you to do well. I want you to get good answers out because that means that you're answering honestly and fully and I'm coming to understand you. So I will support those those types of questions. When I say tell me about a time that you led a project, you need to remember that different people will answer that question different ways and there are people who will jump right in and be like, "Oh, let me tell you about this." And there'll be people who really struggle with that because they really don't want to blow their own horn. Yes. And and some of this comes down to uh to gender, and I hate to bring that out, but it does come down to gender. And so we know from research that when we're talking about jobs, men are more likely to apply for jobs that they're not 100% qualified for and just say, I'm going to stretch it. And women are likely to back away from those jobs and say, I'm not 100% qualified for that. And they may be absolutely the best candidate. I want to interview in a way to try to address some of those biases. So I would say, tell me about a time that you led um, a successful project if they don't have something, I'm going to follow up and say, this This doesn't have to be anything related to work. It could mm-hmm. be something out in your personal life, anything. Mm-hmm. I still, I want to hear about the skills that you have and how you approach those things. And so yep. just an ongoing conversation is important to try to draw out what you want and just know that people are coming from different places. And I think that's so key because behavioral questions are hard, you guys. It's where most candidates get tripped up, especially... Um, youthful candidates, but but even um, more mature experienced candidates who have had a variety of job experiences like that. It, behavioral questions are hard. Like when I get them, I, I'm the candidate who will sit there and say, okay, I need a minute to, to process this before I answer your question. Because I really do want 
to give them an answer, but I have to kind of think about it for a second. And so as an interviewer, I think it's important that you are okay with the silence and that you do help them if they need help in terms of asking the question, like you said, asking it a different way or asking a follow-up question that might get you to the same place. And I also think as an interviewer, it's very important to be okay with the silence and let them sit for a minute and process because not everybody can think like right on their feet and spit out an answer for you. And if they do, sometimes they'll give you an answer and then be like, oh, that really wasn't the answer I wanted, where if you give them the time to kind of sit with it a little bit, you're going to get a better answer. Um, and I also love that you asked them about um, how about their praise, because that's actually the next section of questions that I ask are work-related ones, but not necessarily job-specific ones relating to your job in the clinic. Um, and so I have that a question um, in that same vein on this list, which is that I like to ask them to think about their favorite um, boss or supervisor or team leader that they've worked with and ask them to describe the qualities that made that person stand out as a leader to them. Um, because I want to know how do they work? How do they like to be supervised? Um, what is important leadership qualities to them? Um, to know, is this person going to be a good fit for the leadership style that I have in place, if this is a person who really values, you know, a personal friendship with their with their team leader, and they like the the praise and the pats on the back, and I get that kind of information, and I have a um, a floor leader or a um, a team lead who is, um, you know, very not touchy feely and very like um, a, an efficient teacher, but is is not going to be the um, not going to be the hand-holding type. Um, that's really important, I think, to to learn. So there's a lot of kind of questions that are related to work um, here that you can ask them to get uh, to get more information and make them comfortable before you move into asking them specific questions about your job and your practice. Yeah. So, and there is overlap between the work stuff and the behavioral stuff. And, and mm -hmm. obviously asking behavioral stuff can very much lead you into that work stuff. Um, behavioral questions, any other behavioral questions that you ask? The other one that I do, which is similar to, uh, tell me how you like to be appreciated. I, I got it from Dr. Dave Nichol years ago, and it was a question that I was asked and I just, I really liked it. And, and it's become one that I use a lot is, um, how do you know you did a good job? How do you know when you've oh, like done that. a good job? I like that a lot because it speaks to intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Is this someone, is this someone who uh, looks for outside validation, meaning they're looking for other people to give them signs that they've done well? Or is this someone who's internally validated, meaning they just know that they've done good work? And there's not a right or wrong answer, but again, it helps me to understand this person. And it also helps me to figure out how to motivate this person once they come, come on, on board. board. Right. Yeah, that that totally that totally makes sense. And then the next um, section in the interview process is to kind of go through the job in your hospital and ask them questions that relate to the job. And this can be really easy if you have a experienced veterinary person because you can ask them questions like, um, you tell tell me about your exam room experience. Uh, tell me about your uh, tell me about pick a client education topic and um, you know, give me a two minute spiel like I was a client. You can ask them lots of questions to demonstrate their their knowledge without having to have them on the floor 
are working. Um, and if you don't have an experienced candidate, if they have no experience in veterinary medicine, I think this is the part of the interview where you need to tell them a little bit about what you're looking for. What is the job? What do you need? This is why where you said, Andy, in the beginning of the podcast, it is really important to have a job description for the job that you're hiring for because you need to tell them a little bit about the job. And then you need to ask them questions like, okay, based on what we've just discussed and what I've told you about the job, um, you know, what's the first thing you're excited to learn more about in this in this position? Or what would be the first thing that you think you would tackle when you started the job? Um, questions to get a sense of, are they excited about what you just told them? Do, do, are they really passionate about this? Do, does this feel like they might be a right fit? And also to, to demonstrate their comprehension of what you've told them that the job is, because um, that is really important as well in terms of moving candidates along to the, to the next stage in your hiring process. Totally. I agree. So work-related questions that tend to go over and give us some insight. Uh, why are you leaving your current employer? Um, what one skill would you like to improve on? Um, and how are you working to improve it? Mm-hmm. What was the most recent continuing education opportunity that you did? Um, I love uh, this. This is one that you use a lot. Uh, think about your favorite boss, supervisor, or team leader that you've worked with. Describe the qualities that made that person stand out to you. Mm-hmm. And again, this tells you, honestly, this tells you a lot about that person's core values. Right. If they say, I love the fact that uh, my other boss, she was always on time. She always had a plan. She had checklists. She Mm -hmm. had uh, programs made. You're like, oh, you're a process person or you appreciate a process person. You're someone who looks for a system and enjoys it. Um, You may have someone who says, I love the fact that he would listen to ideas from other people and his door was always open and he was accessible and he would make changes based on suggestions from me and the other team. You go, oh, you're an idea person. You're an innovator person. You being heard is going to be very important to you. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to want to feel some ownership of what we're doing. Great. Again, not good or bad. It's just me trying to get a real sense of how this person ticks. Yep, absolutely. And I think my favorite question to ask relating to the job, because you can ask it to anybody, whether they have experience or not, is what is the one skill that you have that makes you most qualified for this position? And um, you will get so much information from their answer to that um, in terms of their understanding of the job and also um, themselves and what they their self-awareness and um I, I love asking that one. And then I always end my interviews with asking my favorite open-ended question, which is what questions do you have for me? And and then I make notes of every question that they ask because I think that there's a lot of knowledge to be gleaned from the type of questions that um, at, that they ask at that point in, in the interview process. Uh, no, I completely agree. What questions do you have for me is absolutely the... Um, is absolutely the ending question. So mm-hmm. let's throw out other questions that we have that might work into an interview and be valuable. A speed round. You ready? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's do how, it. <laughs> how would you describe your own working style? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um I like to ask them, why are you leaving your current employer? 
I think that's one that a lot of uh, managers steer away from because they're makes them anxious. Like they don't want to listen to somebody talk crap about their current employer. But I think that's important to see how do they handle that with, with what level of professionalism. What three words would you use to describe your ideal work environment? I like that one a lot. Um, Oh man. Tell me about your experiences with euthanasia. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good sort of safety check just to mm-hmm. make sure this person's going to be comfortable. And um, and I'll I'll tell you guys why I started using that because I I never used to ask about about euthanasia and never had had even occurred to me and I um I had a candidate that I thought was amazing and I hired her for the front desk and on her very first day um it was a, a normal day in the clinic and by four o'clock we had had uh four euthanasias. And she had spent three quarters of the days in tears in the bathroom. And I just couldn't. I was like, okay, this is clearly not going to be a fit for either of us. And she, I was thinking this and I'm like, God, I'm just going to have to, like, this is not going to work. And she came out of the bathroom and she's like, you know, I, I just can't do this. She's like, I'm really, really sorry. She's like, but I just, I can't handle seeing seeing this happen. And this is just not the right fit for, for me. Yeah. And so <laughs> I learned that lesson. Yeah, no, that's. That's a fantastic question. Well, let's wrap it up there. I think I think we've covered a lot of questions. Hopefully, we've given people insight into writing their own questions and uh, and developing questions that are going to get them what they need. Because there's no cookbook for this. Yeah. It really is asking the interview questions that are going to give you what you need so that you can assess how this person will fit into your unique practice and culture. Absolutely. I would love to hear from you guys. This, um, this episode's going to go up on, on the blog and I would love to hear you guys on the blog. Tell us what interview questions you love asking, asking people and, and give us some more, because I think that this is an area where we can all use to, um, learn from each other's experiences. And I, I love finding new questions from, from other people who are interviewing. So shout us, shout us out, let us know what your favorite questions are. Definitely. And if you really like this episode, you should probably be in Uncharted. Uncharted yeah. is our community. Uh, we have our staff drama conference, which uh, is, unfortunately, registration is closed. Uh, but you could watch it in our online community because we will be live streaming a lot of it. Uh, it will be in our school. You can see all of those types of things. And I am going to be actually giving a lecture at Uncharted Staff Drama. And part of what we're going to talk about is job descriptions and the right fit for jobs and developing pay scales. So if this really piqued your interest, this is definitely um, something I'm excited to geek out about in a few weeks when we get to Kansas City. And so, like you said, if you are an online member and you cannot attend with us in a few weeks, you can still um, see all of the classes and sessions uh, through the school once they go up and you can live stream the conference while we're while we're there in Kansas City. At Uncharted, we grow team leaders and business leaders. And if that's you, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably you. <laughs> yes. Come come and give us a try. It really is amazing. It's uh, the support and the community are unlike anything else out there. Gang. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for your time. I hope this has been helpful. We will see you soon. Have a good one. And that is our show. Guys, if you get your podcast from iTunes, please take a moment and leave us an honest review. It is the number one way that people find our podcast and tune in. That's all I ask. Until next week, take care of yourself. We'll see you soon.